Hey, welcome to another episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667 or visit their website www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Well, while we find ourselves in uncharted waters this week, COVID-19 is wrecking havoc around the world and we're all preparing to batten down the hatches. My advice is to get your garage sorted so you can focus on some serious truck time if we all get locked in at home for an extended period. Unfortunately for me, my Cummins engine that I'm patiently waiting on is still tied up at the docks waiting on a final quarantine inspection, so I'm restricted to bodywork for now. I thought I'd share a few favourite YouTube channels and podcasts that might help you while away your time in isolation. Roadkill has the first 40 odd episodes free on YouTube, so if you have never followed the antics of Finnegan and Freiberger, I strongly recommend Roadkill. Project Binky, B-I-N-K-I, is another one I enjoy. It's a couple of pommy blokes stuffing an all-wheel drive Toyota Celica GT4 engine and drivetrain into an Austin Mini. Lots of technical fabrication in this build, it's fantastic. Turn and Rust is one that I've been watching a bit lately. It's a bit overfilmed in my opinion, but they build some cool stuff. It's worth a look. There are literally hundreds of shows. Flying Sparks, Garage, Cletus McFarlane, our very own homegrown Mighty Car Mods, the list goes on. As far as podcasts for automotive content, obviously the one you're listening to right now is highly recommended. And share it with your friends if you're enjoying it. There's one called C10 Talk, which is an American Chevy truck podcast. F100 Nation for the Ford guys. There's a great old school one I listen to called The Rodcast by the American Hot Rod Foundation, interviewing the original old school hot rod pioneers. Car Stories is great by the Peterson Museum. Hooniverse, Hot Rods by Boyd. Let's Talk Dubs if you're into the Volkswagens as well and a great Aussie one called Rusty's Garage by automotive commentator Greg Rust. So there's enough to keep you occupied. If you know of a good one I haven't listed, shoot me an email so I can add it to my playlist. Anyway, enough chit chat. This episode, I catch up with Mark Connors from the Aubrey-Wodonga region, and we have a good chat about his 51 Ford pickup. There is a bit of background noise, and I've done my best to minimise it. So sit back, crack a beer, and enjoy this episode. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us on the podcast. A little bit of technical difficulties uh, getting set up, which is always the case with these podcasts, but good to have you on board. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how you first got into automotive stuff? Like, do you have a a first memory of of the first time you saw a car or or the first car you got? What's what's, where did it all start off for you? Uh, Probably... My father's probably to blame for it. He was always into cars. And um, 
yeah, we we grew up over in Wales in the UK, and he would um, he'd always be working on his car and repairing it himself, and uh, just hung out with him and and just got an interest in uh, working on cars, and that that's pretty much where it started. My first uh, my first memory of sort of driving cars, I think I was about seven years old, and I was um, mum and dad took me down to the beach and there's a place called Pendine Sands, and uh, it's just a a really long beach, got really hard sand, and you can actually drive on it. And uh, been watching how, uh, how how cars work and how to drive. And Dad said, "Would you like to have a go?" So uh, he put me in the seat, and yeah, I was hooked. So, yeah. yeah, I think I was about seven when that happened. Yeah. So were you sitting on his lap, or were you driving it yourself? No, I was driving it myself. It was an automatic. Yeah. Um, okay. We were, we got up to about ninety mile an hour, and Mum was in the back. She was freaked out, but. Uh, I felt quite confident because I've been watching long enough. I thought, oh, I've got this. And, uh, yeah, that's probably where the interest came from. Yeah. And what sort of a car was that? Uh, it was a Ford Zodiac. Zodiac. So, uh, 60s, uh, yeah, Pommy. Um, a bit like a Zephyr. A bit like a Zephyr, yeah. 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 And, and was your dad a bit of a, like a rev head? Did he go out and sort of race them or what what was his what was he doing when you were young yeah look he was he was always a rev head um but, you know back back in those days you know, they didn't have the money to sort of modify too much but they did what they could with what they had and then we moved to australia in um, 1977 and uh, then he started getting into muscle cars he had a um an lh uh, slr 5000 that was a uh, yeah, it was a really nice car. It was fast too, um, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, he sold that and bought a Cortina. So I was very unimpressed with that. <laughs> it's a bit of a step down, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um. So, so then when when you got over here, what uh, what was the first car you you got when you when you finally got your license? Uh, my first car, I got it before my license, uh, it was a 69 Ford Fairlane, so a ZA, uh, 289 Windsor, automatic, uh, it was just a really beautiful old car, uh, had the 8-track player in it, it was just a really cool car, and um, yeah, I had that for oh, about six months, I guess, and then um, I think I bought a HQ after that. And started to modify the HQ. Um, then I wrote that car off, unfortunately. And then I had a string of Tiranas, um, LC, LJ Tiranas. And um, I met a guy who, um, this is this is back in the early 80s. I met a guy who put a V8 in one. He put a 253 into an LC Tirana. He took me for a drive and I was just hooked. I just had to have what he had. Just the, uh, the acceleration was just crazy for what it was. And, so I actually bought the running gear off him and then uh, put it into my Tirana. And um, yeah, so drag racing and back in those days, you couldn't buy decent tires. Um, you know, you'd have to weld up your diff and do all sorts of stuff to, to try and um, save money. But it was a quick car and uh, quick on the street anyway. I took it to Calder Park a few times, but um, the mile an hour was there. We'd, you do about 115 mile an hour, but uh, couldn't couldn't do any better than 14 flat. It was too much wheel spin. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big power to weight ratio for a little car like that. 
yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, and I ended up doing oh, probably about a dozen of them all together. I was doing them for friends and just, yeah, um, be, yeah, became a bit of a thing, you know, converting these Tiranas and it's a fairly straightforward process, but um, yeah, they've all been done now, but back in the 80s, yeah, it was good to be around at the start, you know, and we've got to have some cool yeah, cars, yeah. so I had them all now. Yeah, yeah, we all we all wish we had a few of the old ones. So, was there a bit of a, a street racing scene? What sub What suburb in Melbourne did you grow up in? So, I grew up in Werribee and Hoppers Crossing. Um, so, yeah. it's a big uh, street racing scene. A uh, place called Pipe Road and Cherry Lane, which are in Laverton, which is just up the road. And yeah, Friday and Saturday nights and Sunday afternoons. Um, yeah, there's a lot of street racing. Yeah, and uh, Werribee would have been miles away. From Melbourne back in those days, wouldn't it? Like it's yeah, it's almost yeah. it's almost a suburb now, but it, it would have been out in the bush. It felt like that. It, you know, it was a good half an hour drive to, to get into the city, and if you wanted to go yeah. to Dandenong, it was another half an hour or even more, probably forty five minutes from the city. So um, it was a long way. So we, we used to um, occasionally go to Dandenong, but um, there was a bit of action over that side. But more often than not, Dandenong guys would come over to uh, to Laverton. And uh, we'd meet up with them there and, and have a bit of fun. Yeah, that's cool. And and did you ever wreck any of those Tiranas? Nah. No. As in, as in crash, you mean? Yeah, as in crash, yeah. Oh, no, no, only the, the HQ was the only one I had a, a mishap in. Yeah. But the, uh, the Tiranas are a good little car, they handle well. A lot of fun. Yeah, I had, a, I had a mate in high school who, uh, I mean, I, I'm not, personally, I was never a Holden Tirana guy. I, I was a Ford guy back at that stage, but um, he had a four-door Tirana and and it had an auto in it. And you had to get that thing to about 80K an hour before it had, before the auto would kick in a second. So we'd be driving around the streets. I, I grew up, I went to high school in Benalla. And, uh, yeah, you you'd flog it so hard to get it in a second and you have to get up to 80 and then you drop back down to 60 to cruise around town. It was such a piece of shit. <laughs> it was good fun. <laughs> Cause I, I had a, I had a Ford Fairlane. Uh, it was one of my first cars. It was a 302. So I had the big V8 and then my best mate had a, um, he had a little, um, an RS, what were they? RS 2000. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we used to, in Benalla, I don't know if you've been through Benalla much, but there's, oh, there's a big lake. Sorry, yeah. Middle, yeah, there's a lake in the middle of town with a bridge over the lake. And, and going up from that, you've got about two blocks and then there's a set of traffic lights in the police station. And so we used to always race each other off the lights, literally from the front of the police station, which is a bit silly, but you, you had two lanes and then just as you got to the bridge to cross the bridge, it went to one lane. And so it was that perfect who could get across the bridge first kind of situation. And uh, yeah, he always got me off the mark, but the V8 caught up and then it was it was pretty even by the time we got to the bridge. It was good fun. Yeah. Now it was all yeah. different back in the day. You could get away with lots of stuff, but um, yeah, certainly um, it's a lot different now. The Pipe Road to get... Um, you know, probably get two, three hundred people there on a Friday night and you just race yeah, for yeah. hours and then eventually the police would come and they just drive through and then that was, you know, time to go home. But they kind of tolerated it there for quite a few years and 
generally there's only uh, only ever a couple of accidents that I saw that um, everyone's pretty well behaved and then one day the cops cracked down on it and they said no that's it no more and uh, that was the end of that but um, back in those days the, the industrial states were the old roads were there but there was no no real factories there as such so um, it was just vacant land they had some nice roads put on it Perfect, it's all, yeah. all different now you wouldn't recognize it these days no and was it serious like were you racing for slips or for cash or was it just a bit of fun oh occasionally for cash but it was mainly just for bragging rights just yeah. you know, who uh, who was the quickest yeah and a lot of a lot and of guys play... sorry a lot of guys would um they'd have quick cars and you know so back then a, a fast street car like really fast would maybe run say 12 seconds and they'd do that at Calder Park, but on the street, they couldn't get any traction. So it kind of just leveled everything out. Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, you probably adjusted your car to suit and, and slowly upgraded to try and beat the next guy. Yeah. Wish we could still do it. Yeah. Yeah. Kids uh, these days, uh, they missed out on all that cool stuff, but, um, yeah, is what it is. Yeah. And so, for you to be swapping V8s in a Tirana's for your mates, were you a, an apprentice mechanic or what was your sort of background? What was your trade? Oh, I was actually a fitter and turner. Uh, I was an apprentice yep. fitter and turner at that point in time. Um, it was very hard to get a job uh, back in those days. There's a bit of a, you know, almost like a depression, I guess you could say. So um, I took what I could get, which is a fitting and turning apprenticeship. Uh, went on to become a tool maker. Yeah. And it just had this interest in cars. So that was sort of probably what I was meant to do, but um, I was doing other things. And then in the later years, I um, ended up doing gas conversions. I went to work for a guy who wanted someone to do some R&D work for him. Uh, he was sort of pioneering LPG conversions at the time. So I did a bit of work for him and ended up sort of fitting a few cars with gas systems that we designed. And just over, I spent oh, probably five years in Melbourne sort of doing that kind of work. And then I decided, oh, I might be able to get a trade out of this. So eventually um, went through the process and actually got qualified. So I became, became a mechanic through uh, sitting the test and um, VACC at the time had a, a criteria. You just had to sort of been in the industry for so long, sit the test and pass it and that sort of thing. But that's how I sort of got involved with automotive. Yeah, that's cool. And um, and you, you, you're still doing it. You're, uh, so when when I first met you, it's funny, I, I'm normally running around through Instagram or Facebook trying to find someone with a cool truck that I can that I can get in contact with to interview. And I just happened to be driving uh, down the street in Aubrey and, uh, and there's this beautiful truck parked out the front of, uh, now it's Autobahn, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Autobahn. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I went inside and sort of asked around. They pointed me out the back, and you were you were in the back office there. So, so you you owned the Autobahn store in Aubrey for a while. Uh, my partner uh, owned it up until uh, last week. So yeah, yeah, she's she's just sold it. But um, I, I did work in the business for a year, or well, eighteen months or so. Uh, but um, I've got a workshop in Aubrey, um, Ultimate Car Fit. And I've been doing that now for uh, the last five years. 
who uh, do a whole range of things, diesel tuning, uh, a little bit of performance work. Uh, we modify vehicles for people with disabilities, which is becoming a big part of the business. Uh, yeah. Fit a lot of car audio and just general mechanical, pretty much anything really. Yeah. Al yeah. Alcohol interlocks for people who have uh, gone DUI and got to get an interlock fitted. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Do those two. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just filling a lot of niches that a normal mechanic probably doesn't. Yeah, that was always the plan. You know, we just wanted to fill a few gaps. Uh, we got asked if we could do the uh, interlock program for one of the um, suppliers and just so happened we had a, a building that was vacant. So we thought, oh, okay, we can probably do something there. And uh, another mob uh, asked us if we could fit some disability equipment. So we thought we'd give it a try and didn't know how to go. But um, yeah, here we are, sort of six, six years on now. And um, yeah, it's going really well. Yeah, that's great. And so, so you've got a 1951 Ford um, pickup truck. Is that is that the first pickup you've ever owned, or do you have a bit of a history with them? No, it's the first one. Um, always sort of had a bit of a soft spot for the um, yeah the the old trucks. And um, yeah, literally, oh, it'd be about three years ago, maybe four. I was surfing through eBay and. I was looking at this, um, the guy up in Newcastle, he uh, imports a fair bit of stuff and I was looking at some of the stuff he had for sale. And I saw this 51 on there and it just, um, it looked different than all the others. You know, everyone's got 54s through 56 and all that sort of stuff. And I've been watching that show, um, I think it's Rick's Restorations or whatever it is, American Restoration. Yeah. And I, Straight away, I was like, oh, that's the same as that really cool truck in that show. And um, I talked it over with my partner, and I don't know, it was a spur of the moment thing. We just bought it. Uh, it looked really cool, and it looked very clean too. Like, it didn't look like it had any rust. So I uh, took a trip up to Newcastle, and sure enough, it only had very, very minor rust. It was a really clean truck. And, uh, yeah, we did the deal and brought it home. And, uh, cool. And Sorry. And that that's that's an American uh that was a left hand drive uh truck when you got it? Yeah, yeah, it was left hand drive. Um it was in a, a bit of a bad way, so we pulled the thing apart. It didn't have the original engine in or gearbox in it. Um the previous owner must have been modifying it to put some old six cylinder thing in it that wasn't meant to be in it. He'd sandblasted the body, um which you know was no no big deal, but the inside of the doors had some really nice patina on them. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. I like that. I, I do like the uh, the whole rat rod look and the patina and everything. And then we pulled it apart. The uh, the chassis was a little bit twisted, um, and we sort of had a look at you know, what we could do to make it stop and handle. We always planned, you know, probably put something half decent in it, a little bit of power. But we just came to the conclusion that. Uh, there's too much work required and it's going to take too long. So um, I started looking around for what sort of chassis we could use and um, ended up with a Holden, Holden utility chassis. Uh, yeah. bought, bought that for a box of beer and um, cleaned it up, painted it, set the cab on it and then 
I spent about four days with a laser, just trying to get it to sit in the right spot and where the guards were going to sit and was the tub going to fit. And surprisingly, it just fits on there like it's meant to be there. Yeah, right. So it's a it's a HQ chassis. Yeah, oh, it's a WB, but uh, same as yeah, yeah. also HQ right through the WB. Yeah, and a, a tunner or a U? No, it's a U. The, the tunners are a bit too long. They're about um, oh, I don't know what they are, six inches longer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I did look at that, but there was going to be a gap between them. Yeah, you know, when when you had the wheel arches all centered and spot on, there was going to be a gap between the tub and the cab. Yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't know that you'd some shorter, but um, then someone said, "Oh no, they're shorter." So I went out and got one, and um, yeah, started uh, playing around. Hmm. And so you know, I I obviously I'm building a Chevy, and I I see a lot more Chevy stuff uh, that I follow, but um, it's quite a popular uh, swap for the Chevs as well, but. How how does the Ford body go sitting on the rails? Because the I know the rails on the on the H on those Holdens um, are a bit wider than the original rails on the uh, the truck chassis. Do, does it sit down over it okay, or did you have to do some modifications? No, there's some modifications. The um, yeah, you, you can um, you can narrow the chassis. Uh, there's a local guy actually. I think he's even got the jig for it, but I uh, wasn't aware of it at the time to uh to bolt them on the jig and then uh, cut the rails and just bring it all in a bit narrower so you don't have that problem but well, i sat it all on there and had a look at it and i thought you know what it's a rat rod um it's not you know we're not we're talk not talking about some show car here it's going to be something that's going to be used a lot so um we made the decision to run with it so you, you can't actually see part of the chassis uh, i had to cut the guards slightly the front guards and running yeah. boards, and I just made up some covers to uh, to go over the uh, chassis. So it kind of all blends in, unless you um, you, know, you know the trucks inside out. Most people look at it and don't usually pick it. It's only when they really start looking close and then put their head underneath and go, okay. So holding the chassis and those those covers are um, being put there to hide the chassis. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's pretty similar to how the chevs end up. I think the. Uh... Your side steps almost have to be be made to fit properly to hide the chassis, and and then the I see a lot of the time the tubs end up being a bit higher than they they should be. So yeah, I don't know how that works out with the Ford, but I mean, look, it's a it's the best way to go about it, value for money for what we're doing in Australia, isn't it? Yeah, look, I you know I agonised over it, but um, if I had the time, you know, maybe I would have put a Jag front end or a Mitsubishi front end in that. But then there's a lot of work to do at the back to get it the original chassis to get it low. You've basically got to cut a section out, and there's there's a fair bit of work to um, to make that all happen. And I was on a time frame too. I, I literally had a um, a 12 month window to get the truck built from when we decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna hook it and do it. Uh, I had to be in a wedding, um, stepdaughter's uh, wedding, so. Um, I said, okay, we'll do it. And yeah, I think it was in a million pieces. I had a bare chassis sitting in the backyard and uh, had 12 months. So um, it was the quickest way to make it happen. Uh, yeah. And look, to be honest, it, it stops, it handles uh, much better than what an original chassis would. So we're pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the availability of all the parts for the Holden suspension, you know, is, is quite good too, because you end up putting some some different stuff in there. A lot of guys will put a Mustang too, or they'll do Camaro stuff or, 
you know, it's just a little bit harder to get the parts. You can just walk into Autobahn and probably get all the bushings and, and parts you need for it. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And that's what we did. Um, once I cleaned the chassis and painted it, um, we just went through it front to back and just redid everything. And then uh, picked out some wheels and tyres, put those on, set the cab on, and just started going from there. We got a lot of mucking around measuring and checking things. And, you know, if I did it again, I'd probably change a couple of things, a little bit different. But um, yeah, my, my shed that I built it in is uh, quite small too. I was very sort of cramped when I was doing this work. It was done, um, you know, a few hours of a night and, and then uh, usually Sundays when I wasn't working. So I was spending, uh, you know, one day plus a few nights of the week in the shed. But in really cramped conditions, the shed's only about seven metres long and about four metres wide. So, um, yeah, it was quite uh, quite difficult. But um, eventually, I got it to a stage where it was rolling. It was all bolted together, and, and that's when I took it to work. And then we hooked in and finished it off at work. Yeah, because I mean that's got to be tough. You you spend all day at work working on customers' cars, and then you go home and you just got to hook in and work on your own car. It seemed never ending at times. Yeah, it did feel like that. Um, and as the deadline got closer and closer, of course, you know, I was starting to um, get a little bit nervous. But it's surprising how much you get done if you just do a little bit every night, you know, just an hour or two or three, whatever you can spare. And you just chip away at it. And as long as you've got a plan and um, you sort of stick to your plan, a lot of it came down to getting parts. We had to buy, obviously, lots of, you know, bits and pieces and chrome and window regulators and door handles and just all the sort of stuff that was all, all worn out. Um, so we, we got all that from the States and we got that in um, two different lots. Uh, so that, that was good. We had everything there. When, when it came time to assemble a truck, it sort of went together pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, and so what what's the power plant? Is it a 253 or have we gone for something a bit juicier? No, it's a, it's a Windsor. Um, the funny thing was, I was actually looking at the um, the chassis one day. I had, I had the chassis at the workshop, and uh, yeah, we re rebuilt a lot of Ford engines and a lot of Clevelands and Windsors. And I had a Cleveland block there, had a pair of engine mounts on it. And I don't know why, but I just looked at the block, and then I was looking at the chassis, and I thought, gee, they, those engine mounts look like they're they're almost the same distance apart of what it's on the um, the chassis. So I grabbed a tape measure and I checked it and it was very close. So I dropped the uh, Cleveland engine into the, uh, the Holden chassis and it literally the bolts went straight through. You could bolt it up. Yeah, there was a difference. Yeah, you needed some spaces. But um, so I ended up going with Windsor um, and the one I've got in there, it's a stroke, it's 347. Uh, it came out of a customer's car. So it's one I built previously for someone else. Um, it has got a supercharger, but it's not fitted at the moment. But yeah, 347 Windsor, it's got a T5 manual and a diff out of a, um, came out of an ED Falcon. So disc brake, LSD, we literally just cut all the brackets off, um, bought a set of perches, sat it into the uh, leaf springs on the Holden chassis, welded the perches on, and it's just perfect length, they just, yeah, all fits. Even the, uh, the tail shaft we got from a ED wagon, it was the exact right length. So the, the right didn't have to cut it. No, I didn't even have to cut it. It just all bolted up. And if you look at the engine, it looks like it's meant to be there. 
that's literally got uh, six aluminium spacers on the engine mounts. But that's all you need to do to put a forward into a hole. Couple of spaces. Yeah. So would would you say you're a Ford man? Like, is that something where you were like, if I'm getting an old truck, it was going to be a Ford? Or yeah, yes and no. Um, I mean, I like Ford vehicles. Anything is cool, but um, I always like the look of the Ford trucks, um, especially the, when you look at the back and you've got the Ford symbol in the tailgate. I always thought that was really cool. And the uh, the difference, I just like the '51. It's just um, it's different than the '56s and um, I don't know, I just like the look of it. You don't see as many around. A little bit, uh, no, little well, bit rarer. It's only really 51 and 52 that had those kind of, they're almost like a DeSoto uh, style grill teeth in them. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I had a, I had a 51 as well for a little bit, but I sold it on, but um, yeah, it's uh, so such a different look to the horizontal grill bars of the 48. To the 50 models but but yeah it's got that uh, it just looks like it's angrier i reckon <laughs> yeah and you see some of them i don't know like people sometimes chrome the you know the teeth or whatever you want to call them and, and or they paint them a, a weird color and they just look atrocious but um when they're done right they look really good um yeah. if we were gonna if the truck was going to be painted you know like with a nice paint job we were looking at doing black chrome for the for the grill but uh, obviously we went with something a little bit different. Yeah. Now, my memory is vague. The truck's black. Is it, is it a matte black or is it a gloss? No, no, no. It's uh, what we did. It, we wanted something that looked like it was old and faded, um, but we weren't able to sort of do that easily because the truck had been sandblasted uh, by the previous owner. Yeah. So I took it out to um, uh, Donk's custom garage or... Bungawana blasting, whatever, whatever they call themselves. Um, and they, um, they cut a couple of pieces of rust out for me. And then we were looking at it and I said, look, I, um, I want to keep all the dents. So there's a lot of dents in the truck and there's a lot of character there. And I just want to keep it, keep that look. And we were talking about different ways to achieve something that looked old, but was still you know, painted. And, uh, my thoughts were, we're going to put it in red oxide. And then we're going to paint uh, machinery gray over the top. And then I was going to rub it back yeah. in spots here and there. And then he was going to clear coat it. And that's you know, what we were going to do. But uh, Donk rang me up one day and he said, oh, I'm going to send you a photo and we can fix it if you don't like it. But um, I've painted one of your guards. And what he did, he painted it in red oxide and then he put machinery gray over the top. But he, he did it as though he was painting something that was faded and old and um, sent me the photo and I'm like, that actually looks pretty cool. Um, we, we had a bit of a talk about the colouring and there was a bit too much red in there and I wanted a bit more grey. So he put another coat on it and yeah, we made the decision to give it a try. And I said, look, if I don't like it, I can always rub it back. I could yeah. always play around with it. So just paint it and see what it comes up like. So anyway, he did, uh, he did that. And at first we weren't sure. We just said, oh, we'll, we'll take it home. We'll assemble it. We'll see what we think, but we might end up rubbing it back. But it kind of grew on me and, um, yeah, we, we wouldn't change it now. It's, uh, yeah, we love it. 
It changes colour in the sun, so some days it looks like a really flash shiny paint job from a distance, and other days it um, just looks really old and weathered. It's, um, yeah. People either love it or hate it. You get people coming up going, what's wrong with your truck? Why haven't you painted it properly? And, and other people come up and go, oh, that's really cool. I like the effect. And yeah, everyone's different. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter what they think, does it? It's, it's your truck. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And, you know, I've, um, I've made some modifications in the cab and it's, it's all based around me. I wanted leg room, so we took the fuel tank out didn't need to be behind the seat, so obviously we're running the Holden chassis. So that got me about six inches of clearance, and then uh, moved the firewall forward. That got me another six inches, so I can actually stretch my legs right out. Um, steering wheel, same thing. It's um, I've lost of distance between me and the wheel. There's nothing worse than getting into a truck and you've, you've got the wheel close to you. You just feel like it's you know you're, you're just on top of the steering wheel. So I wanted it to feel like a something a bit more comfortable yeah and so so you're a tall guy how tall are you uh six three six three yeah okay yeah yeah i'm six four so i feel your pain <laughs> yeah well, yeah you said yeah. at 56 or something like that and they're just um they're cramped but uh you yeah. can jump in my truck you can stretch your legs right out you can drive down the highway and yeah you're not uh you're not feeling like you need to pull over for uh, to stretch your legs because uh, you've got all this room. There's plenty of it. Yeah. Now, if my memory serves me, you've gone. You've obviously it's a right-hand drive because you got it on the um, on the Australian chassis. So, yeah. did you did you cut the dash and do a swap, or or do those Fords reverse pretty well? How how did that all happen? Oh, yeah. Look. Um, a bloke I know uh, has got a business, uh, I think it's calls itself Turbo's uh, Steel Fab or something, local bloke. I spoke to him about um, the firewall because I'd actually cut the firewall out and I just wasn't confident enough to um, to do what I wanted to do. I just thought, oh, I need an expert here. So I got him to, uh, he just folded up some sheet metal and made the firewall for me. And... Um, we're talking about what to do with the dash. So left-hand side, you've got the glove box. And right hand, uh, sorry, right-hand side, you've got the glove box. And left-hand side, you've got your gauges. Uh, literally, the gauges got filled in. So that, that panel is now just flat. And on the yeah. other side, he just cut a section out. Um, it's, it's probably not ideal, but uh, we've got some gauges in there. But I'm changing all that. So we're about to pull the truck off the road. Um, I've got a, um, a Holly Sniper on the engine, and it's a really good bit of gear. It's you know, really, really um, nice thing. So I ended up buying a Holly Dash, and we're going to recess the Holly Dash into the original Dash, um, just because I want the technology and I want, you know, I like the look that you can have with the Holly Dash. You can have it looking like a, a set of old school gauges that's got multiple templates, uh, or you can make your own. But, um, yeah, that's what we're doing with that. So it was one of the things that was a little bit rushed, and you can you can tell when you look at the look inside the truck, you can tell it's, it was left-hand drive, and I've changed it to right. But again, I, I didn't really care about that so much, as long as it was functional and looked okay. That was uh, that was the, the main thing. Yeah, and what what steering column have you used in it? Uh, it's Ford. So it's steering column and the pedal box is all have an ED Falcon. So pretty much all yeah, running yeah. come out of a nice Falcon. 
Yeah. 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 I guess that if you use that pedal box, so brake boosters and things, are they out of the Falcon as well? Does it yeah, brake booster and master yeah. cylinder, it's all, all out of the same era Falcon. Yeah. And it all, yeah, surprisingly, it all just bolted together really simply. Um, there was nothing, oh, I had to make a brackets for the, uh, for the pedal box. Uh, Stern column just literally worked out where it needed to go through the floor, put the hole in, bolted the column to the floor, bit of mucking around with steering shaft to get it to adapt to the hole, but, um, it was, it was all relatively straightforward. Yeah, that's nice. Nothing hard there. It was all simple. Hmm. Yeah, I think if that's something that I think is important is if you can if you can match up your pedals and your brakes and, you know, if you can keep it all from the same vehicle or a similar vehicle, it just makes your life so much easier when, you, when you're bitsering a car together like what we're talking about. It's... Uh, it's a shortcut, I suppose, time-wise, rather than having to fabricate and work out everything perfectly. Stuff can just bolt straight up. Yeah, that that's right. And it was um, originally I was going to use the Holden column and Holden pedal box. Uh, the um, the chassis I, I bought the, it was an old Ute, and I actually paid a box of beer for the whole thing, but it it was quite rusty. And I cut the um, the pedal box uh, bracketry and a bit of the firewall out. And that's what my plan was to graft that into the firewall. But it was all too hard. In the end, we just made a new firewall, got the Ford stuff, and, which was really good. I had um, you know, intermittent wipers on the steering column, an indicator that was yeah, probably a little bit better than the Holden product. Um, hazard uh, flashers on the column as well, uh, collapsible column, and it's got tilt, so it's adjustable up and down, in and out. And uh, it was all just really cheap, you know. You can pick up these uh, old '90s Ford's parts um, for next to nothing. So yeah, it's mostly Ford with a little bit of Holden. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got a you got an elephant running through the back there. Yeah, yeah. Someone's cooking dinner. <laughs> so. so <laughs> So talk to me about engineering. I mean, you know, you, you're doing a, a fair bit of um, not fully custom, but I mean, we're taking a Holden chassis, we're putting a Ford engine in it, we're putting an old Ford cab on it. Uh, was this something that you did? You touch base, or you knew an engineer from from the work you do in your business? How did how did that all work? Uh, yeah, look, we're actually going through the process to become um, to to be able to do engineering assessments in our business. Yeah, uh, we do. We do have a bit to do with engineers because we uh, modify vehicles so much with disability work. So we, we're talking engineers all the time, and getting things assessed. And um, so, look, I've had yeah lots of conversations with um, a few different engineers, and everything we did was okay. Um, the plan was to always have it on full rego, so um, everything's been done the right way. Yeah. Things like seatbelt mounting points and um, all things that matter, and even the way the cabs mounted onto the chassis. So we try to use the original pickup points wherever we could. Yeah. Try and keep the modifications to a minimum. So um, it's um, it's due to go in for uh, first assessment shortly, but uh, we've got to put the blower on it as well because we want to get it uh, engineered with the blower on it. I just haven't um, haven't had a need to put the blower on yet. It's got. You know, plenty of power and it's a lot of fun, but um, we've got to put that blower on it for the uh, so it's engineered with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
And so what about drivability? Like how does it drive? Does it does it feel like you're driving a Holden Ute or? Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. Um, it drives, well, it drives really well. It feels yeah. like you're driving a Holden Ute as far as the handling and the braking goes. Um, just a little stiffer. So um, it doesn't weigh as much as a Holden Ute. So the springs are, um, uh, yeah, just a little firmer. Yeah, and and a nice, obviously got a bit of power, bit of power in it. And it's it's going to get a bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we're actually just uh, in the process changing out the fire speed. We're going to a um, power glide um, just to calm it down a little bit. It's a bit of a handful with the manual. Um, yeah. And we're probably going to race it. We'll, we'll, take it down the track and went with a um, two-speed power glide. Uh, Paul Rogers just built that for us. So that's going in, uh, well, next week, I'd imagine. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> so are you are you involved in a car club there in Aubrey or do you just, are you just sort of running your, doing your own thing? What What's your uh, involvement with the local scene? Uh, pretty much do my own thing. Um, yeah, I know yeah. a lot of guys are in clubs and uh, yeah, meet up for coffees and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just prefer to get in the truck and drive it. I, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I like driving the truck, and it, it um, it's one of those things. It's uh, I don't know, just get a bit of enjoyment out of it. You have a stressful day or, or week, you know, it's good to get in it and just go for a cruise. And probably not so much into the social side of it. It's just. Uh, we enjoy the truck, we enjoy driving it. It's nice when you go meet some other people, uh, you know, like-minded people, if you go to a car show or something, see some other cool trucks, but for the most part, we just like driving. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what they're there for. Um, and and you were saying earlier, you know, if you had your time, you'd probably do a couple of things differently. What what can you sort of tell us, if you had your time again, what, what would you do different? Oh, I'd probably have the benefit of a little bit more time, so um, you know, I wouldn't have rushed a few things. Probably the dash is probably the biggest thing. Uh, we'll, we'll have to tidy that up uh, shortly. Just not 100% happy with that. Uh, there's a few little things we're actually going to take the time to fix now. Um, so I've set the vehicle up for myself, but I didn't think of anyone else when I was building it, so my partner asked <laughs> to, uh, to reach the paddles. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to make the seat so it's adjustable and uh, just make it a little bit um, better for her. Uh, of course, when it's an auto, it'll be a little bit easier as well. Yeah. So what what did you did you put a bench seat out of a the Holden or something like that in? It? Uh, it's out of a Chev truck, but I don't know which one. Uh, when I bought the truck, there was a mix up, so um, the seat it was definitely a GM seat. It's got GM seat belts on it. Well, I had you know, yeah. when we first got it, and there's a whole bunch of parts in the truck, and I got everything out once we got the truck home, and I had a guy ring me randomly, and he said, "Oh, look, I've just bought a, um, a Chevy truck off the same guy you bought your Ford truck from," and uh, he's told me there's all these parts in the truck, and I don't have them, and I think you've got them, and I think I've got your front springs. So, yeah, sure enough, had a look, and yeah. Um, so he, he got his um, his parts and um, he had some of my parts. 
but the seat, we, we couldn't figure that out. It wasn't out of his truck. Um, it was just in mine, so I kept it. And I just said, well, I'm going to use it. I've got it recovered in uh, black leather. It's a perfect fit. It just fits the truck. Looks cool. Um, yeah, it's just your, you know, your classic sort of bench seat. It's uh, you know, comfortable. Um, serves a purpose. doesn't matter what car it came out of. I couldn't care less. No, that's right. Yeah. Does it have adjustable rails so that your partner can bring it forward or? Well, it doesn't yet. That's one of the things we're about to do to it. So yeah. we're going to make, going to make it adjustable. Yeah. Have you done much, have you done any traveling overseas for checking out car stuff or are you not so no. much? No, not so much. I mean, been overseas a few times, but never, never looking at car stuff. Uh, we'd like to get over to SEMA. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every year we've been saying, okay, this is the year we're going to SEMA. And last year we didn't, um, just with some business stuff that was going on. We said, okay, next year we'll go to SEMA. And uh, now we've got uh, all this virus stuff going on, so I uh, can't see that happening. So we'll get there one day. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting world at the moment. So you're seeing a bit of a downturn in business at the moment? Yeah. Uh, Parts of our business, yes. Other parts, no. The the disability side of things um, hasn't really slowed down. Probably a little bit less uh, mechanical work. A um, lot less uh, sort of people just walking in off the street. You know, people just, uh, just go, oh, look, okay, I bought a car stereo. I want to get it fitted. Um, yeah. A little bit less of that. But we're one of the lucky ones. We've got um, forward orders for work, so uh, and government contracts as well. So um, for us at the moment, it's just business as usual until uh, someone says otherwise. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of businesses that you know. I guess it's a, there's a lot of a lot of arguments going around about what's an essential service, but I mean, if you're keeping uh, important vehicles on the road, then that's essential because they need to be working. And yeah, it's uh, it's good to say there's a lot of us. You know, my business is still running as usual, and I think the more people that can keep working through this whole thing they're better yeah that's right i mean a lot of people made a decision to close and they might not have had to have closed but you know they've made that decision and that's that's okay and you know got to put their health and the employees health first but um yeah we we talked about it with our employees and uh, no one wanted to um shut up shop and have a break so uh we, we said look while we can we'll uh, we'll be working and we do provide an essential service, and especially around the, um, uh, the alcohol interlocks. Um, they get service every month, um, and those customers need to go somewhere to get that done, otherwise they can't drive the car. Yeah. So it's pretty important they get uh, they get looked after, and um, and then obviously people with uh, disabilities. You now the work we do is really important for them, gives them a bit of freedom. So um, we'll be we'll be open as as long as we can. Yeah, no, that's great. All right, mate. Well, really good to catch up and, and have a chat about your build. Like I said, it, it was great, great to just drive past and see it. I, I just wish there was hundreds of them all over the place. You know, like I think the more of these old trucks we can resurrect and put them back on the road, the better. Do you have a social media presence that, that's got some more pics of your build or anything like that? Uh, look, I, I really don't. Um, we've, we've got our uh, business Facebook page, um, but there's a whole yep, bunch yep. of uh, just business stuff on there. But I actually don't yep. have any, don't even think I've got any photos of the truck on there, but there are some on my personal page. Um, yep, just yep. one of those things, I've never, never really sort of put it out there. I've got all these photos, I just need to collate them and 
put together a bit of a timeline, I guess, and it did go together quite quickly. And it was uh, it was quite cool was watching it sort of all just happen and get go together quite quickly. Uh, we need to uh, probably need to do that. Yeah, and and you made it for the wedding. That's the important question. We made it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> only just. It was very close, but uh, it was drivable. It drove to the wedding and the reception, yeah, yeah. and um, and home again. It only had a, a an old clunker three or two Windsor at the time. But, uh, it wasn't very healthy, but uh, obviously it's got the new engine in it now. That's good. Yeah, a, a friend of ours uh, had a friend's classic car for her wedding, and and right before the wedding, it got stuck in reverse, and they ended up having to uh, deliver her to the chapel in reverse. So Mark, I'll, um, I'll get you to maybe just send me through some photos that we can put up and, um, and then everyone can have a bit of a look at your truck and really appreciate your time. And, uh, and, you know, do you have any plans for, for building any other, other vehicles in the future like that, or this was just a one off and you've had enough? Oh, it, you know, I did say I'd never do another one, but um, it was the first time we'd actually done a, a sort of build like this. But it's funny, once it's done, you kind of just get a bit itchy to do something again. So we've got we've got a couple of other cars that need a bit of attention, so we'll spend a bit of time on those. <laughs> we've got a, um, a 69 uh, GT Capri, Ford Capri. Yeah, uh, that's um, that's actually set up as a well. It's going to be a it's going to be registered, but it's basically set up just uh, drag racing mainly. And um, that's uh, well, it's ready for paint now. So it's had all the all the sort of uh, engineering work done, the, the cage and all the chassis work and suspension. That's all done. And now it's time to get it painted, and that'll probably be the next one that gets a full build. And after that, don't know. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. All right, mate. That's great. Well, so if anyone's in uh, the northeast or the Albury Wodonga border area and they uh, they need a bit of work done, they can come see you at Ultimate Car Fit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not much that we don't do, and um, yeah, we're just in uh, Drome Street uh, inside the new uh, Bunnings complex. Yeah. Excellent. All right. All right, mate. Well, thanks for the chat, and uh, I look forward to seeing you around town. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.